You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We're talking about some weighty matters in this edition of Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, back at you with another edition of Cornfield Theology. Thanks for taking interest in this podcast. Thanks for tuning in on Apple iTunes or watching on YouTube or Spotify or however you listen. And uh, Rob Lane is here. Rob? Hey Sean, nice to be back. Good to be back. We've done, I was thinking earlier, we've done at least two other podcasts together. One on education. Yep. Which I really enjoyed because I'm a son of teachers. Um, so am I. Yeah. As well as one by profession. By profession, yeah. Yep. So... We had a lot of thoughts on that, public school, private school, and um, homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And so you can check out that podcast if you like. And then we also, what was the other topic we uh, engaged in? Getting old. No. The yeah, gen- yeah, getting old. That's <laughs> generations in the church. So actually, it, it was about diversity, but not in the way that everyone's using it today, although yeah. that's a topic for sure. But other points of diversity that are healthy for the church, like mm-hmm. generational diversity. Absolutely. Right? So uh, it's good to have older folks, midlife folks. I'm going through technically my midlife, I hear. Yeah, I think 40. so. You're half... Yeah. What are you about to say? Halfway to dead? <laughs> you're, well, on, you're, of there. you're on the downslope, son. I know. I just hit official senior citizen <laughs> yeah, yesterday. Right. I'm 65 now, oh. so it's real. When does the AARP card come in? Like 52. Oh, so you've had that oh, for a while. Oh, no. I don't have one. No. Refuse. Not going there. Not, okay. I'm, I'm not is old that a yet. pride issue? <laughs> yes. Sure is. That's fine. Admit it. Well, uh, today we're talking about the topic of deconstructionism and if you're unfamiliar with that we're going to explain it here in a moment but i want to open up with some pastoral thoughts regarding the topic this is actually a weighty issue it is um you know we could talk about the stories that we've both encountered regarding people who've gone through deconstruction of their faith in particular but from a pastoral level your heart breaks when when anyone leaves the faith Mm mm-hmm when they walk away from the church and they um, do an about face and say, you know, I don't believe that anymore, whatever. And so this kind of gets into that kind of category of, oh, it's weighty, pastorally, you feel it. Uh, we, you know, personally have walked through people who've gone through, quote, deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't want to, we don't, our aim is not to talk about this glibly or um, in, a, in a confrontational way, but hopefully you hear our heart in two senses. One, uh, we we genuinely care about people who've gone who are going through deconstruction, or who have gone through it and have left the faith, um, and also we want to explain it really well. Um, more more to the point, this is my big thing with with uh, talking about you know topics that could be um, confrontational or or controversial. Ideas matter, mm-hmm. and how we define things and how we understand things matters because that eventually affects an individual. And so we'll try to keep things at an ideas level and wanting to explain to other Christians, hey, this is a reality of what we see in our churches. How can you process this when you encounter maybe it personally or you find a friend who's saying they're going through deconstruction? You know, any other thoughts from like a kind of a, our heart behind this and doing this podcast? No, I think that sums it up really well. Yeah. So um, from that, from, with all that said, excuse me, uh, we both read a, the same article called Faith deconstruction, what it is and how it works. And uh, leading up to reading this particular article, 
I can't pronounce the guy's last name, so I'm not going to do it. I tried like four times on the way here. About uh, we 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 both thought it was a very good article. Um, we both thought it was a smart article, well written, helps explain deconstruction, and um, you know there are obviously going to be points where we certainly disagreed, but he helped us understand more fully what is deconstruction. So with that said, how would you define define deconstruction? Well, it deconstruction is the opposite of construction. And so in in and he makes that point. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Postmodern thought says that there isn't an ultimate reality. That right. reality is determined by experience. Right. And your experiences then shape what you perceive reality to be. Yeah, so can I add on to that sure. de definition, which would be, it's a rejection of objective truth. Um, not necessarily a rejection. They still believe there's objective truth, okay. but not it doesn't apply necessarily to meaning. Right. So, you know, they still say, yeah, two and two is four. Right. But in terms of philosophies of life and, and life function, that mm. same rules don't apply. Right. I think that might be more accurate. Yeah, so each each individual could have their own objective truth. Yes. So that's the kind of the essence or heart of postmodern thought. Yes, because it's based on your experience and your thought processes. So therefore, you are constructing right. your understandings and your knowledge and actually building them. So, but wouldn't, um, this is, I'm just trying to think this through, uh, from a faith perspective, objective truth outside of yourself how does yeah. that, where does that land on this whole paradigm? So that essentially is denied. Right. Because. It's more of that objective truth that I'm thinking of, okay. as opposed to like mathematical science, sure. whatever. Yeah. Which uh, these days is less objective. <laughs> but we I digress. But the point is the, the facts aren't what really matters. Correct. Your, your experience and your understanding is mm -hmm. what determines what is truth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, from a faith base where where as Christians, we would say there is an objective truth outside of us that has always existed. Right. Postmoderns would say that is not the case. Truth is constructed from your experiences. And so deconstruction then is taking those meta narratives mm. like there is a God, there is knowable truth that is absolute and taking those, they're often called dogmas, Right. And yeah. looking at them and looking at the inconsistencies and seeing what lines up with what you understand and what doesn't, I guess. Mm -hmm. And typically undoing what are perceived to be harmful backgrounds, you yeah. know, ultimate truths. Right. So he starts out in his article... Deconstruction starts with the realization that all of reality is constructed. And so that kind of goes, that pushes back against the idea that something's been constructed for us. Um, but it's, it's, we are constructing it for ourselves. Yeah. Particular truths, particular understandings, our, our th even our own thought life, you know, it's all the product of something that's going on in the material right here and now. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how he, he starts out with in, in this particular article, which which was a helpful way to start out because it kind of lets you know this is where he's at and 
here's a really simple definition. Well, sure. And that's, I guess that's the point. Um, all of reality is constructed. Yeah. And it's constructed by human beings. Yeah. So, yeah, right off the bat, that's expressing a worldview. And, and I would say a worldview that is contradictory to a Christian faith worldview. Right. And so let's talk more about that because in order to understand deconstruction, we have to understand more fully what we've already mentioned, but let's just kind of put a microscope on it for a moment. We have to understand postmodernism. Okay. Um, which, which would be the secular roots of deconstructionism. So even before we talk about deconstructionism uh, in the church and the deconstruction of faith, we have this alternative worldview mm -hmm. in which deconstruction is kind of coming out of. Yes. So, and that worldview is postmodernism. So give like a, a few minutes of uh, definition, you know, define for us postmodernism. Well, as I understand it, postmodernism is the idea that, and, and it's a, a reaction to other philosophies. In, but in particular, modernism, hence postmodernism. Mm -hmm. right. um, there there is no ultimate source of truth. Um, it, it comes out of naturalism and humanism and, and moves beyond there. And so um, postmodernism says that there is no overarching truth. In fact, overarching truths are problematic. Right. Um, often called meta narratives. Right. And the the view is that those meta narratives exist to give people power over another group of people right and so meta narratives are rejected and self is the determinant of what is valid and invalid so i as a person become the source of truth or perceiving truth i guess yeah and so anytime i perceive it, it, an overarching story, the, the the story of there being a God would be the example we're working from that gave truth, that created all these things. That's seen as a meta narrative, which is dangerous because it's simply a means of controlling people and how they think. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, it's to be rejected. And I build my truth and understanding from my experiences. Yeah. And so experience is given higher weight than even the empirical evidence that we talked about before. Yeah. Um, facts or not, those are not as important. So we're talking about foundational stuff, meaning like as, as Christians, our foundation of understanding who we are is from God. Yeah. Absolutely. As That's... opposed to from a postmodern perspective, the understanding of self is from self. a person's experience, the mm -hmm. self, yep. which, by the way, a great book to read more on this would be The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Wrote a book review on this at cornfieldtheology.com if you want to check that out. Hmm. But really helps tease out the historical development of how we've come to this point of postmodernism and then how that how that has impacted things like sexuality to race to myriad of things that we see within our culture right now. But it's a lot of what you're saying. Uh, name some philosophers that um, have really made an impact on postmodern thought. Anyone come to mind? Nietzsche is probably one of the first ones who really started it. Um, Carl Jung. Um, the uh, author here of the article, uh, Jacques Deirdre. Uh, 
um, Derrida, Derrida, it, yeah, yeah. In, has more of an impact on um, deconstruction than necessarily on on postmodernism. Post okay, um, yeah, but Good. he's definitely a, a factor in that. Yeah. Any any other? Well, I was thinking about this regarding postmodernism, and then we'll then we'll talk about how this has impacted the church. It's almost like the law of non-contradiction doesn't work in postmodernism, meaning you have two truths, and uh, if they contradict one another, they both can be right under the postmodern way of thinking, mm -hmm. as opposed to a, more of the modernist, a rational way of thinking is, you know, if one th if you say one thing and it directly contradicts another thing, then one's right and the other one's wrong. Yeah. Right? So if you want to think about in terms of like what's being pushed here and what's at stake, it is in a sense of right and wrong, what is truth, what is not truth. At the very core. Yeah. And it's interesting, I guess, because all of these things can't work. Mm. One of the points of a worldview is being cohesive and functional and, and helping us to under truly understand what's going on around us. And I think there are some things that, that truly break down. Right. Yeah. So we have postmodernism, which is loud and clear within American culture right now. Um, there's no denying that. I think even the postmodernists are like, yes, <laughs> this is what's going on. And we are embracing it and we love it. Um, it's impacting society at large. But we have this postmodern thought. And then within this, we have this one aspect of postmodernism, which we're talking about today, which is deconstruction and deconstructionism. And again, the reason why we're talking about it, it's made its way into the church. In what ways do you think deconstructionism has made its way into the church? Like what's, what is it really pushing aside and people are embracing? Well, I think backing up to that, the, the thing that we face is that postmodernism is truly is contradictory to biblical theism. They are not compatible. Mm. And, and yet we see people in churches functioning from postmodern worldview. I, right. I, I was going to say embracing. I don't know that that's true. Yeah. But might be for some like this guy. That's true. Like he, he deconstructed his faith and he's, you know, he says he's, you know, has an element of faith or whatever. But I think to your point, by and large, I don't think people actually are understanding What's going on? No, the our thought processes have been impacted and they're not necessarily biblical anymore. And I think that's how it's affecting the church. Um, rather than going, no, these things have been and are and continue to be true, the, the biblical truths, mm. it's come into question with everything else. Yeah. Uh, and so we as believers have in some ways bought into that thought process, which we're told over and over has to be true, yeah. has to be right. Yeah. And, and so to, to stand against that or in opposition to that, I guess, is really challenging. And so, I, you know, I, that's what I see happening is many Christians don't necessarily think biblically. Right. And, and I think part of why deconstructionism is, is taking some taking some uh, roots in the church is because of the larger postmodern worldview, right? When you begin to 
say that, you know, at least from a faith perspective, for certain that objective truth does not exist outside yourself, that it's within yourself. What does that say about, say, about the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture? Yeah, it brings you know? it into question or oh, question, removes it. it. Yeah, it totally, totally removes it. And then you become your own God, or you make God in your own image at the very least. So there's a, something that impacted that, and it's the, I believe it's one of the factors is the delivery of the gospel, mm. or the message of the gospel has been changed in some circles. Yeah. So come with me. We're going to go back 100, 150 years. Getting in the time machine. Let's go. Yeah, sorry. Is it a DeLorean? Back when I was just a boy. Is it a DeLorean that we're getting into? <laughs> it, it works. Yeah. Stainless steel holds up. <laughs> um, the gospel is truly this. There is a God, and he is holy. He is totally righteous. He judges sin. He created everything, and he has the mm-hmm. right to do with it as he pleases because mm-hmm. it is his. Mm-hmm. God created man, and man is sinful. There's a, a gulf between those two. And man's sin cannot be paid for out of man's works. Right. God had to provide a way to address that. That is, that is the historical gospel boiled down. 100, 100 to 150 years ago, that message changed a bit. And, and it, it shifted to a question is, if you were to die... Do you know if you would go to heaven or hell? Right, yeah. Or would you would you rather go to heaven or hell? That became like the evangelism question. Yes, you know? exactly. If you were dying today, Rob, where do you think you'd go? You know, the proposition. And so the, the shift of the focus of the gospel went from God and his atoning work on our behalf. That's a, this is a good point. To what's going to benefit what's me. It for me? Yeah. So it became a me-focused gospel. That's good. Subtly. Very mm-hmm. subtly, with I think with good with, intentions. And with religious terms too, right? Yes. It's like, of course, heaven and hell exist, and we see that clearly in Scripture, and where are you going? Like, who doesn't think about that if you're a person of faith, or if you're you know, thinking about Christianity or whatever in the terms that are laid out? So if the salvation that comes with the gospel is based on me benefiting, if I'm not benefiting, it becomes easy to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. If I'm not getting what I perceived I should be getting, what's the point in doing this? It's cost-benefit analysis, which isn't the point of Christianity anyway. So that's one of the things that has had a bearing. And so if if it's a me focus, if in our culture me is becoming the source of truth, if, if in culture everything is brought into question, then I would be foolish not to begin to question these things. And I don't think God has a problem with us questioning things. No. I think he has a problem with us shifting our our, our basis. I mean, there are things that I, be, I believe are true that we've dismissed. Yeah. And that's that's one of the paths it took. So that, that change in how the gospel is presented, I think, has had a very big impact. And then the way we do church... Biblically, church is a place where believers are supposed to gather together to be equipped to do the work that God's called them to. Yeah, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Exactly. Culturally, we've made it a place where we want to bring people to hear the gospel. Yeah. Leave that work to the pastor. Right. That's not biblical. No, it's not. And and so we're doing a disservice to these unbelievers because they're not going to get the church stuff that's going on, but we want them to want to stay because we do want them to come to know the gospel. Right. That's really not the, even the best context for that to happen. Hmm. But what happens then is 
as as churches, we begin to fall in the mindset of drawing people in and keeping them there. And right. so that's going to change the way you communicate. You're almost you're almost saying without saying it that uh, church leaders have acquiesced to postmodern thought. And that is that is impacting ministry, impacting how we frame questions, impacting how we preach sermons, right? Yeah, and I and I don't know if it's acquiescing. I uh, I think there've been good intentions. Yeah, but I. I mean, it I'm could be say confor- qualified. Yes, yeah. Maybe church. maybe con- unintentionally conforming. You know, I don't I don't think anyone's trying to. Generally speaking, I, I want to think well of pastors and all people for sure, um, but in particular pastors that they have well intentioned, right? Yeah, and you know, Paul told Timothy to to be on guard. Yeah, you know, because people. People want to hear what they want to hear. Yeah. They come with itching ears. And and none of us likes to be told that there's something wrong with us. <laughs> none of us likes to hear there's something we need to what? fix. None of us <laughs> likes to hear that we're falling short. We know it's true. Yeah. Although our culture is telling us how wonderful we all are. Yeah. So maybe we don't know it's true. And that yeah. that shock value drives people away. Yeah. Having to deal with what is real. So, yeah, it we've shifted paradigms in trying to approach what God has in mind. And I think in that, in many ways, have moved away from biblical standards and biblical truth in, into using secular truth. And there's value in some secular truth. Mm. There's things that help us understand the world around us. Yeah. I, I get that. But uh, those two systems, we already said, are not compatible. Yeah. And so it's going to have an impact. Right. And again, it's made its way into the church. Um, you know, it might necessarily be in people who are doing an about face intentionally. I think you people conform to the culture sometimes unintentionally into the patterns of the world. And uh, it could be a church leader, it could be a church member, it could be someone who's just coming into the church for the first time. Let me uh, read this statement from the article, Rob, and I'll have you interact with it. And um, he's basically at this point in the article taking deconstructionism and applying it to the church. Okay. He says, above I stated that deconstruction starts with the realization that all of reality is constructed. That was the first line, basically, of his article. And he goes on to say here, well, if you apply that to faith or belief systems, you get something very awkward. And he goes on here, you start realizing that doctrines, dogmas, and moral rules you once believed to be enshrined truth and not up for discussion are, in fact, the construct, are things constructed by human beings. So... I'll give you one thought, and then you can chime in as well. I get what he's saying here because he's using deconstructionism and postmodern thought into making a statement. But what he misses here is that, from, and he says it later in his article, but he misses here in this statement is that Christians believe in objective truth, which is what we keep coming back to because that, come, that becomes the, the dividing line between um, how we understand what is constructed and by who it's constructed by. Yeah, so there's a there's a presupposition in this thought that he's not saying. Yeah, which we all have, by the way. I mean, admittedly. Yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I get there. But the 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 point is this: if all of reality is constructed, and he also says specifically by human beings. Yeah. Yep. If all all is an inclusive term. Yeah. And once you say that, you are precluding God. Yes. You are precluding any outside source. So if I say that all of these faith, th- faith things are constructed 
that means that there cannot be an outside source giving us any of that information. Mm -hmm. It, It denies the possibility that there is a God and that that God has plans, designs, desires. We may not agree with them or understand them, but if he's bigger than man, he has the right to do that. Yeah. And, and so to say that they're all constructed by humans is automatically removing God from the equation. That's where this becomes really dangerous for believers because now I'm the source of truth. Right. And, and I can pick and choose what I want and I can pick and choose what I like and I can pick and choose what I think works for me. And uh, that doesn't work. I mean, okay, I just had my birthday. Yeah. My lovely Happy birthday, wife, by the way. Thank you. My wife. When was it, by the way? Hmm? When was it? Yesterday. I didn't text you? No. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, you know. Oh, man. Appreciate your secure in this, but I really should have texted you. <laughs> it's, it's all right. I should have this on my calendar. Go you ahead. have a life. <laughs> I know. You're my friend. Mine's passing before my eyes. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm halfway there. Um, the point is, she made me a birthday cake. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, we're trying to be relatively careful with our diets. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. I had birthday it's, cake for breakfast this morning. First of all, correction: it's called a lifestyle change. Okay, I was corrected on that one day. Okay, we're not dieting; it's a lifestyle change. I, so I'm trying to change my lifestyle, and I'm but you had breakfast. So <laughs> if I follow that perspective very long, it's going to have a detrimental effect on yeah. me. Yeah. Anyway, that's just that's, and I lost my thought in our conversation. But Sorry. no, that's all right. But the the point being is, there are things that are outside of me that I need to be aware of and concerned about and think through. It's not Certainly. just. Yeah, I can't maintain that thought for a very long time yeah. and be healthy. Right. Uh, let's get very practical here uh, in terms of why uh, folks may go through a process of deconstruction, which the author brings out in the article, which is really helpful. And then and then I want to shift to, after kind of talking about some reasons he gives, how, how do we care for those who are going through this process or have considered it or reading books on deconstruction or those who have completely deconstructed and walked away, and which, by the way, I want to say this because he makes a point in, in his article, and then I'll touch on that. That um, let me try to find it. He he was mentioning that any language of backsliding or apostasy needs to be removed from the church, and I disagreed with him on that point. I think I think there are several reasons why someone may walk away, and it's not just deconstruction. I think we have a bigger category of apostasy, which is a biblical, which is biblical which is basically I'm walking away from something I believed in and I'm going that way. And then there, there are reasons why, you know, um, there could be, you know, someone commits a grievous sin and, you know, they just, they just like, you know, this isn't my thing. I'm going to go do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the world thing. You know, I'm going to go do whatever I want. I'm not going to listen to you. It could be deconstructionism. It could be a myriad of reasons. I think deconstructionism is one category of several, which people find reasons to walk away. I think, is that fair? Yeah. And I think so. And I think finding reasons is a really good way to sum that up. Um, I think even before we get further into this, I think there are areas that we as the church have not handled dealing with some of these things well. Yeah, I agree. And and I think we need to own that and... and Let's, let's, Let's call them out, right? So like, for example... I'm, I'm talking from pastoral ministry and history. Hey, pastor, um, I'm going through this particular sexual sin, right? It is, there are many churches who just shun that and say, sorry, 
you're not you're not welcomed here. They might not not say it that way. Yeah. But it's like getting the cold shoulder. You know, it's like, why are you treating me differently all of a sudden? I just confess sin. I, I, I know stories of, of um, teenage pregnancy in the church, mm-hmm. and the, that young lady is, is shunned, which is not the response from the church. That yeah. should not be the response. Yeah. It is to love and care and compassion. Um, so there have been a myriad of reasons. Well, and, in, and in fairness, in many ways, we've allowed the church to be performance-oriented, that mm-hmm. you know our external behaviors— are are the demonstration of what we believe. Yeah. And we are called to a higher standard. Certainly. God calls us to live morally upright lives. And yeah. any of us who've lived more than a week or two, even as believers, realize that we really don't have the strength to do that. Right. Which hits us with the impact and the need of somebody greater than us to empower us to yeah. do that. Um, now, with that... Um, yeah, so there are big reasons, I think, categories that would do that. And and he talked about three of these in the article. Mm-hmm. And and as I've observed over over time, I think these kind of sum it up. Two of them really struck me more than the third did. Yeah. Because he talked about traumatic experience. Yeah. He talked about um, self-contradictory teaching. Right. And um, an inconsistent praxis or the, the practice, practice of your yeah. belief system. Yeah. And I think the first one and the last one especially, there's traumatic experience mm-hmm. and there's inconsistent. And that's kind of what we were just talking about is that inconsistency in the, the working out of our belief system. Right. And, I, and, I, and we should break down those here in a moment. But I, I, this thought came to mind is that my ability to demonstrate compassion and love and care does not preclude or is in contrast with God calling me personally to live in holiness. No. And I think sometimes that gets lost in these situations where there's one of these three categories is, is being lived out, whether it's a traumatic experience or there's, a, you know, uh, there's, there's something being d- disingenuous in terms of praxis or praxis. Um, we get really caught in performance right. instead of ongoing growth and transformation. Right, right. And, and we see this so much in the Gospels, the importance of mercy over sacrifice, for example, Jesus calling that out, and yet that call to repent and be holy. And so we've we've got to be very careful to uh, create these external things as the most important thing. And I would I would add, oftentimes within churches, um, we we make external things that are not even biblical um, important. They just become part baked into the church culture. Yeah. And he's like, you got to live up to these standards. Well, by who? Where, where in the word does it say that? <laughs> you know, it doesn't. And so anyways, I, okay, so now let's go through these three areas and kind of break them down because I agree with you. I think it really hits to some of the reasons why people have walked away and gone through deconstruction. I think the first one you said it was traumatic experiences. Yeah. Um, man, I'm just sitting here running this laundry list of yeah. examples of that, of people that I know. Yeah. Um, I taught with a gentleman in Wisconsin who, through through ministry of believers, uh, a youth group pastor had a big impact on his life. He came to faith in Christ. Um, this youth group leader fell into sin, and it emotionally devastated this young man, and he walked away. He said, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part yeah, of it. Yeah. So we got failure of people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have, I know stories of young people, men and women who have been emotionally and sexually abused by mm-hmm. church leaders. That yeah. is incredibly sad to me. Yeah, it's uh, heartbreaking. But I mean, talk about traumatic experience. Absolutely. Why am I going to trust these leaders with anything they tell me if they can't? Um, in my own family, I, I lost my first wife to cancer, which is traumatic. Yeah. And I had a son who was just turning 16 and a daughter who was turning 13. Uh, and and my son, both of them for sure, but my son especially got mad at God because I believe he had been praying for his mom to be healed. Yeah. And she wasn't. Yeah. And I get that. God doesn't have to heal everybody. Right. If he healed everybody, it wouldn't be a miracle anymore. Right. But that hurts deeply. But in that situation, in that moment, when you see your mom going through cancer, and you're pleading, this isn't like Sean Powers growing up pleading that the Chicago Cubs win a ball game. This is very personal. This is your mom. She matters to you. She raised you, and you're crying out to God. Yep. And that had a huge impact. And in a conversation later, a couple years later, You just said, Dad, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. Yeah. So I get it. I, you can see the impact of traumatic experiences. But that goes back to something we said earlier. It puts my experience and how it affects me mm-hmm. on a higher plane than what God says. Now, God doesn't con- commend any of those evil things that happen. Right. He doesn't commend sin. He does provide grace and mercy and understand that we in our strength are going to be able to accomplish those things. Mm. We don't always understand those in a moment, but rather than saying, okay, there's stuff that's beyond my ability to comprehend right now. We, we try to make everything fit in nice little boxes. We do. Yeah. And, and it's easier then to blame God or deny God and walk away than to truly work through what we've talked about, and we were talking about this, is there are paradoxes in yeah, the Christian faith. Which is the second point. We can, we okay. can, we can pivot right to that. Where cool. The three categories, we went over traumatic experiences, and of course there's more to say on that. Uh, self-contradictory teaching. And he says, you know, in the paragraph below, belief systems in particular are designed to gloss over a paradox. And we were talking earlier, like the Christian faith is full of paradoxes. Now maybe his experiences, some of these, some churches aren't acknowledging that. But we'll fully acknowledge there are paradoxes that we read in Scripture. If God's a loving God, how does he allow suffering? Right, right. If, if fill in the blanks. I mean, yeah, it goes on. That's the one that comes to mind right off the bat. So that's for me, that's an easy one to dismiss in, to, in the sense that I agree. Christianity is full of paradoxes. Now, hopefully your local church is helping you wrestle with those paradoxes and, and is teaching through those paradoxes, you know, sovereignty and free will. And like you said, God being good, yet they're being suffering. You know, how does all that kind of fit together? And so, Holiness and mercy. Her, yeah. How can a holy God who has an absolute standard forgive? Mm. Yeah. Or how can a forgiving God have a standard? Right. We right. get caught in that one a lot. If yeah. God's so loving and merciful, how can he condemn anyone to hell? Right. And what kind of a God would let people go to hell? I mean, you know, so yeah, there's those exist. Yeah, they certainly do. And so maybe, maybe the acknowledgement here is some churches aren't teaching well through the paradoxes and acknowledging them. Like, yeah, we, you know, this is part of being a Christian is we wrestle with the complexity of being a human being and going through these experiences 
and while also acknowledging uh, I'm created in God's image and God is bigger than I, <laughs> you know, and so I think making these acknowledgments actually is really healthy for the church. Yes, and we're dealing with the the reality that we are finite. Yeah. And we're trying to comprehend and interact with an infinite God. And that's going to be complex. Um, One of the things that was really helpful for me several years ago in a class, uh, we were talking about worldviews Mm -hmm. and and talking about biblical truth. And it it was a term that kind of helped me a lot. We've got logical where things line up and make sense and they fit in our boxes. Right. We've got illogical where something's weird and it, it can't function. Right. There's translogical where I don't get it. Yeah. It's beyond my comprehension, but it's not crazy. Hmm. Um, I think of the, the Trinity, the nature of a triune God. I, I sit and look at that and go, I don't get it. That's a paradox. I mean... Three and one. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. get it, but it's not unbelievable. And right. I can see the function of that. Right. And I can see the the communication of that. Absolutely. And so it's like, okay, I, I can... I, so translogical helps me because that tells me it's a cross. It's bigger than, than me. Which, you know, when you're... If, let's say you're processing deconstructionism and you're hit with this particular point. I would encourage you to think through like wonder. Um you know, when it doesn't fit into your box and you're, and you're pondering on who God is, say the Trinity, hopefully that leads you to wonder and, and, and knowing the majesty of God. Um, wow, how does it even work? Yeah, that's a great question. Hopefully that leads you in, oh, it's like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. You're just like... Which creates a sense of awe. You're right, oh, yeah, man. absolutely. Or standing by the ocean. or yeah, exactly. That's why I love the ocean and mountains. They're so much bigger than me. Here in Iowa. <laughs> That's why I wrestle. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's God put me here. I'm not going to fight that. Yeah, like cornfield theology, not like mountain theology or ocean <laughs> theology. Oh yeah, I left my mountain man look way behind. Yeah. Um, had another thought. Keep going. All right, keep back. going. Let's go to that third one then. Um, that he points out. You know. Oh, I'm sorry. No, nope, we go got back. it. I know this is being filmed. Um, doubt. Oh yeah. We doubt's not a bad thing. No. But we as believers have, have, have decided that we can't. And, and it's important. Jacob wrestled with God. Yeah. You know, Paul wrestled. You know, the things I want to do, I can't. The things I don't want to do, I do. What's going on here? I mean, God, help me understand this. Help my unbelief. This is Absolutely. And so I think that's an area where we as the church need to... That's a great point. ...step up yeah. um, and say, okay, let's process this together. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was talking with a dear brother yesterday and he, and he had a burden that he was carrying and he didn't want to share it. Mm. And, and, and my wife could see it written. He, she said, there's something, there's something up. What is it? And he, he finally talked to us about it, mm. but all along he's saying, man, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to. And it's like, why are you carrying this burden by yourself? Yeah. And I think that factors into deconstruction. Satan likes to isolate us as believers. 100%. It's like watching wolves hunt. Yeah. They 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 separate the weak and devour them. Yeah. You know, and and I see that happening in the church. If we're not grounded in truth, if we're not 
fixed and, and processed through. And, and it is a process. I'm still working through things of faith and coming to more understanding of who God is after 40 plus years as a believer. Yeah, it's a journey. It is. And and we made it an event, kind of. Yes, we certainly have. And so that has an impact. But to come alongside somebody who's struggling to help them process and acknowledge some of those things to to be honest about sin and say yeah that was awful and that should never happen and i i, I guess i say that to our shame in the church yeah. we've taken such a low view of god and of sin that we allow ourselves to indulge in sin that we should be running away mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. um that's sad yeah and then and then when someone confesses sin it's like the scarlet letter you yeah know? And, you know, you mentioned, and we, and that is not the response, like we talked about earlier about, you know, the teenage pregnancy in the church. The response is coming alongside with love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the love and compassion that Jesus displayed in his life and death that is within us now by the power of the Spirit, it gets displayed to others. Yeah. And and that's how people know, you know, the, the old song, we will know they, were, they are Christians by their love, you know. It's, it rings in your head because it's like repeated over and over in that particular yeah. song. But man, profound truth. It is. And uh, we want to love well. You, know, you mentioned earlier about Christianity being a journey because deconstructionism is often defined as a journey as well. You know, the deconstructing of faith and something new gets constructed at the end. It's almost like the phoenix. <laughs> you know, it kind of goes to the ashes and reemerges. Well, the journey for the Christian life, so again, if you're wrestling through this and you're like, I'm going through this journey, the the, the journey of the Christian life is doing it in community, namely the local church. So I picture this like, picture this in my head. We're going up a mountain, you know, pick your mountain, Mount McKinley, Mount Everest. I think the name's changed. I don't know. The one in Africa. What's the largest mountain in Africa? Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro. Thank you. Is it Tanzania? Sure. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it's yeah, over there somewhere. Maybe. So in Africa, we got the continent, right? Continent is good. And let's say, you know, me going up to the mountain on my own, I will not survive. I will die. I will get eaten. I will get, I will get picked off by the wolves or whatever, you know. We go up together. There's more strength. There's care. Uh, there's encouragement. And maybe, maybe you digress a little bit, but your brothers and sisters, they're, they're, they're with you. They'll bring you back up. And so that's how I picture what the church should be. Yes, we have individualized journeys in one sense. You know, God saved by the, by His grace has saved me, but He's also planted me with a bunch of brothers and sisters, who God has also, I would say, elected and saved for all eternity. That we do this together, and that's the beauty of the church. And so, when, sometimes there is doubt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, let's talk this through. I mean, I, I love talking to people, whether it's in the church or outside the church, who've come up to me and said, man, I'm really questioning some things right now about God. And it, it, it could be it could be because of suffering. It could be because of their own sin. It could be just an existential crisis, right? Uh, you're going, uh, a kid goes to university, <laughs> goes to a public university, which is, you're going to get that postmodern worldview, which is contrary to a Christian worldview. And all of a sudden, there's the, the existential crisis. Oh, yeah. We have to be ready to, to care, not push away. Mm-hmm. We have to be ready to love, not condemn. And, and I think, to your point earlier, that's where the, one of the shifts needs to make in the church, which is why I think some people find deconstructionism so appealing. is because they have been pushed away. And uh, that needs to change. 
generally speaking. It's interesting because in Scripture, we're told that God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he calls him the comforter. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because the, the Greek, parakaleo, it means to come alongside yes, and support. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and so if we have the Holy Spirit doing that for us, yeah. coming alongside us and supporting and encouraging us and pleading our case, yeah. how can we do any less than that? Yeah. With those around us, believers and unbelievers, come alongside and, and plead their case, whether it's to, to know Christ as Savior or for for faith to carry on or strength mm. to endure a hardship or, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. We get so busy trying to be good, we forget being Christ-like. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. We're so busy being good, we forget to be Christ-like. Yeah. So, um that's a great statement. Now let's segue to the third point that he makes. Uh, we are not living, or we are living inconsistent praxis, which is practice. And uh, we've already talked about this a few times. Um, we're not living out what we believe. That would be the claim. And so people see that, and so they go down the process of deconstruction. It's like, hey, look at that pastor up there. He's preaching all these great things. And then he goes and you know, cheats on his wife with the secretary of the church. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the point we talked about earlier with um, the focus of the gospel not being my need of a Savior and God's righteousness and mercy in providing Mm. that, but would I rather go to heaven or hell? What's in it for me? And so then we're able to separate what we say from what we do. Right. And I think the other important component or category that's that's relevant here is that we're sinners still we're imperfect mm-hmm. human beings and so if you're you know a church member and you're you're seeing another person who's not living out what they believe well there's sin remaining sin is a thing we're working toward holiness you know the, the talk about paradoxes earlier um we are made holy and we also pursue holiness uh you need to be comfortable with that mm-hmm. and part of this pursuit of holiness is the sanctification process and so there's a clear acknowledgement, yes, there's there can be inconsistent practice within the church with what one believes, but also there's the, the fighting against sin as well. In a lot of ways, we haven't valued God the way we should as believers. How do you mean? If God is who he says he is, mm. he deserves faithful, loving service. Yeah. If God did what he said he did in providing a savior, honestly, he owns us. Uh, We were just reading in the start of Thessalonians, end of Colossians last night about that. He is our master. And we don't like that. No. We want to be absolutely sovereign. Which which goes back to the postmodern mentality, right? It's this rejection against authority. Mm-hmm. Right. Or our meta narrative, or a bigger overarching right. picture. Yes, I am my absolutely. own God. I am my own authority. Things like that. Yep. And and so, as a believer, if I don't value God above all else, I'm not going to allow Him to change my heart, and I'm not going mm. to change my behaviors, mm. or I'm going to try to hide it and look good yeah. to impress other people yeah. instead of allowing myself to become good by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. And I think that's been the breakdown. We've been so performance-driven. And, and anytime you have that, people are going to do whatever it takes to look good. Hmm. I mean, I see that at school all the time. Right. 
you know, if your standard is that, you know, you, everybody gets A's and B's, well, you're going to do whatever it takes to be in that class. You're going to copy somebody else's work. You're going to have your parents help you. You're going to steal stuff straight off the internet. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, you're going to do what it takes rather than going, no, I'm not capable of that. And I'm just going to be what I am and accept the consequences. I'm just going to do the best I can within the structures. And so, you know, I think we do that. We perform so much. We forget that our faith is really about being, Mm -hmm. not doing. It's about who you are. Yes. It's who God made you to be. What we do will come out of that. Yeah. And in fairness, I think sometimes people who are deconstructing put unfair standards on their leaders or other believers and use that as an excuse to walk away from not having to wrestle with those things or, or work with the things. Right. It, it's easier. Yeah. Um, it's easier to walk away from a hard marriage than to work on the problems. Fight for it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The consequences of walking away are way bigger. Yeah, absolutely. But the immediate relief is a lot easier and so there's some of that you know there are people who have who have maybe i'm going to say come to faith under those false premises of it's going to benefit me it doesn't benefit me we realize that there's hardship involved paul talks about enduring hardship like a soldier yeah everything i've ever watched about war is it's not a picnic no it's not it's the most traumatic thing you could experience here on earth well why am i going to do that to myself so it's way easier to come up with a reason to not do it i see that in my band all the time not not my kids that stay but kids that leave mm-hmm. they haven't been willing to sacrifice and invest and it's a lot easier to say oh i don't like it or i'm not talented at this well nobody's talented at that right you know, you learn skills. And and so understanding the process of growing as believers, I think, is really important in that. And, uh, you know, that, that inconsistency. Yes, if I'm going to speak against sin, I'd better be turning away from sin. Well, I'd better yeah. have a high enough view of God that I'm willing, because of my love for him and who he is, to allow changes to happen in my life, to give up yeah. the things that I know contradict that. Yeah. The other way just to really kind of sum that point up is that you're not God to your band students. No. Nope. I am not God. I'm not Jesus to our church. And uh, we want, you know, whether it's you and your profession or, you know, the folks at Redemption Hill Church, we want them always looking to Christ. We want them to look to Christ as their ultimate example. Now, you know, are we supposed to exemplify Christ? You know, just as Paul exemplified Christ and he, he encouraged other, of course that's there. Oh yeah. That Paul is, says, follow me as I follow Christ. 100%. Yeah. That, that, that reality is there, but we're in this, we're in this situation where sin remains and decisions need to be made. So we're acknowledging both. We're acknowledging. Yeah. Yeah. There's hypocrisy. Uh, but we want folks to ultimately look, look to God um, as the source of their comfort and peace and hope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't hope in me. Don't hope in you. Hope, hope, in, hope in God. It, and it's this is an aside, yeah. but it's it's been interesting. Uh, this came for, from a uh, interview or or TikTok clips from a from a 
I, man who's deconstructing. I knew you were on TikTok. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not. Um, Do you even know what social media is? There is there is more opportunity right now for celebrity and people have yeah. platforms that never would have had platforms before. 100%. Yeah. And so it's much easier to jump on a bandwagon than it's ever been in history. Yeah. Um you know, so all of a sudden you're seeing all these people deconstruct and these people are celebrities and they they have a platform and so other people are rightly or wrongly encouraged by that and becomes a trendy, easy thing to do Mm. where it used to be a hard thing to do. And so now it's like, oh yeah, let's just, let's run down this path. And so I think that's making itself snowball. But the whole idea of using this platform, you have a right to your beliefs. Mm. Everybody does. You don't have to agree with me that there's a God who desires to know us and have us know him, Mm. who provided a way for us out of sin. You don't have to agree with that. And and I'll respect your thought. I won't agree, but I'll respect your thought. And I'm not going to sit around and and see how many people I can necessarily lead away from your point of view. Right. Uh, I'm going to engage as I have opportunities to do that to present what I see as truth. Uh, but I'm not going to sit and bash no. your belief system. Right. I don't think that's Christ-like. Yeah. Jesus pointed out lies clearly, yeah. but he showed compassion, except for people who claim to be religious and following God who really weren't. Yeah, and there's a difference between like you know bashing someone's belief system and having uh, be persuasive about your own, and also doing it with um, humility and kindness. And so, like I talk a lot about, like you know, when I go, th- when I think through ideas, you know, someone someone who holds an idea, I, I never make it personal. You know, let's say it's on Twitter or something like that. I recently did this in a, in a post on our cornfieldtheology.com. I went after the idea, and that's the idea I disagreed with. And it showed why biblically I wouldn't agree with this particular statement. And I think there, there needs to be a disconnect between the two. So often, and sometimes rightfully so, as individuals, we hold passionately to a particular perspective. And then it becomes deeply personal. A way to get around that is say, you know what, this isn't personally against you. But if we're, if we're going to talk ideas, let's, talk, let's go after the ideas and let's, let's exchange thoughts around the idea. And uh, I think more of that needs to take place. But that's been removed totally. in postmodernism because if I speak against an idea, I'm espousing a meta narrative. Meta narratives are about power. I'm trying to show power over yeah. you or assert power over you. Therefore, I'm bad. Yeah. It's not just wrong or different. I'm bad. And this is where I push back. Like and we have to be able to, to exchange ideas, in matter, especially, especially in Christian circles who are talking about various things and have various views, especially in our culture today, where I think the church is more fractured than I've seen it ever in my lifetime. And uh, we could talk about things without being like, oh, you're a jerk or whatever. Like, no, no, no. Let's talk about the ideas. Uh, why do you hold these things? Let's rationalize. Like, like Paul in Acts 17, you know, went to the Paracopagus. Couldn't talk there for a second. And uh, he was quoting uh, Greek philosophers. 
it was an exchange of ideas. And you know more took place than what we have in the biblical account mm-hmm. in terms of this dialogue. And we've lost that in our culture. Postmodern has, postmodernism has stripped it away. And when we talk about deconstructionism as well, there, there seems to be no ability to be able to do that within deconstructionism because it's all about me. And, and everything else is a power play. Right. You know, and, and sadly, parts of the, I'm going to call it religious Christianity, in contrast to biblical Christianity. Okay, yeah. There's a, there's a difference. Yeah. And sadly, much religious Christianity has been about power and it's been abused. And there, there have been times that, that people who were not even followers of Jesus were placed in positions of authority and power. And that's what people see. Yeah. And that's where some of these things, I mean, we're now we're going back hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those things, again, are wrong. It's not the reality of what Christianity is. And, you know, I can see rebelling against those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Luther rebelled against those things. To go back to the reality of salvation is by grace. Yeah. You know, and that's that's valid. Mm-hmm. God doesn't have a problem with us questioning things. He has a problem with us not being willing to listen to him. Yeah, that's good. Because as we said earlier, you know, from a pastoral perspective, especially like if you have questions, like we invite those questions, like come bring your questions. You you and I are eager to dialogue around that and Mm -hmm. wrestle with that and pray and look at God's word with somebody who has questions or doubts or whatever else have you. I think of the times in my life. I, I remember one specifically. I worked in a factory years ago that made mobile home trusses, roof trusses. Yeah. And uh, I had a motorcycle, and I was riding home on my motorcycle and going, what's the point of all this? Mm. You know, I had people I had people at the plant mocking me for my faith. And it's like, is this really real? Yeah. And, and it boils down to whatever our belief system is, it, it's based on faith. The, the thing that makes a difference is what's the object of your faith. That's right. what it boils down to. But like Peter came to the conclusion in the Gospels, you know, when Jesus said, who do you think I am? Or are you going to leave me like everybody else has left me? You know, and Peter said, where, where else are we going to go? go? Yeah. And that time, there have been times that God keeps bringing me back to that point. There is enough evidence that I can stand confidently on who Jesus said he was and is. And from there, I can take confidence in who God says he is and what he is. Hmm. And if that's not real, there's nothing else that makes sense. I don't have any place else to go. Yeah, I've I've weighed other worldviews. Yeah, likewise. And and it's like the the weight of evidence falls on Jesus clearly, mm. and that's where I keep going back to. And and so yeah, there's a truth that's bigger than me. Yeah, there's something that's coming from outside of me, and that's the reality of any faith system. There's stuff outside of you that is factoring in. Yeah, hundred percent. There's no way around it. Let's end with um, talking about how we would engage or counsel someone who's going through the process or is thinking about deconstruction. So someone comes up to you, Rob, or comes up to me, says, hey, you know, I've been, here, been listen, reading books on de- deconstruction. 
you know, questioning things about my faith or I saw this at church and it bugged me and, you know, I can't handle all the hypocrisy, whatever. Um, a couple thoughts for me first, and then you could chime in. I think it's important from a pastoral perspective to hear people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, while a person's lived experience for me is not ultimately truth, could be truthful for certain, but there's a higher truth, but does it make it irrelevant? No. It makes it very important. Mm-hmm. I think understanding where folks are coming from, even going further back to like, okay, how'd you grow up? That could impact how you understand your present day. Uh, is there other things going on in your life that are impacting what you see within Christianity or in the church or whatever, or the doubts that you're having? Being patient and listening to people is so critical here. Not Not being dismissive, not just saying, you know, trust the Bible, love God, and, you know, pat them on their head and send them on their way. Um, pastoral ministry means really, truly listening and caring for those who are in your care that God has entrusted you to oversee. So that would be the first point I certainly would make. Uh, second one I would say is, you know, let's talk through what the root is. You know, I really want to know what's grounding an unbelief or what's grounding um, your frustration with maybe, let's say, an issue of hypocrisy? What, what's uh, what's really the root of it all? And I think third, I think it is making what you said earlier is really important, a distinction between worldviews. I think though folks who go through deconstruction don't truly get up front that postmodernism is in direct contrast to a Christian worldview. And I think those categories can be really helpful and help and help warn a person of the danger of going down a particular path, such as deconstructionism. So, in terms of practical application, in terms of counseling someone, that's kind of where I would begin. I'm, I'm sure there's more. I don't know if you have additional thoughts on that. Yeah, I think listening is huge, and and listening thoughtfully. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, years ago, in a in a a seminar I learned that anger is frequently a response of hurt and and anger not dealt with becomes bitterness mm. um, I can't control hurt I can try to avoid it but I can't control whether or not it happens you know I stub my toe it's going to hurt right somebody does something to me it's going to hurt. I can't control the hurt, but I can control my response. And, and many times I found that the hurt is bigger than what I'm able to handle. And, and I'm perceiving that with a lot of the stories that I hear about deconstructionism. There's a hurt from one of these three areas that's that's bigger than I can handle. Therefore, Christianity is invalid. Yeah. Rather than realizing that hurt happens because we live in a sin-cursed world. Yeah. And God is the only one that can handle the hurt. So when when anger occurs and when I can perceive that as I'm talking with somebody, we can back up to where the hurt came from like you said. Yeah. And once you've ad- addressed the hurt, as a believer, I recognize that God's the only one that can do anything with that hurt. He's big enough to carry that hurt for me. Hmm. 
if I'm willing to give it to him. And he's also able to give me valid answers, a true source outside myself that gives me a solid objective place to work from. It's not just my feelings. Feelings happen. Feelings are real, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily valid. Mm -hmm. And, And that's where we've run into trouble. We make everything valid. Yeah. And so, yeah, in pastoral care, it's that coming alongside and walking with them and pointing them to the right places and feeding and being involved and engaged. And, you know, it's not an event. It's not that, that sales pitch closure, make the deal happen. That's not Christianity. No. Um, and, And I understand that. Christian's heart is to not see anybody separated from God. Correct. But we can go about fixing that the wrong way. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's power in what Christ did on the cross that we need to come to. Yeah. And I think, you you know, in addition to the points that I made, what you're in some saying is like, we want to point people to God. Yep. You know, we could talk about apologetics all day. You know, here's one worldview and here's why it's not compatible with this worldview. And I think there's some there's some validity to helping people see that you want they're living in a particular reality. And so here are the realities. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to be patient. I think from a pastoral care perspective, being patient and listening is, is vital in any you know counseling type situation or conversation. But at the end of the day, we want to point people back to God. Absolutely. And show that God is greater than the pain you're going through, greater than the perception, which may be very valid, that you have about a particular religious leader or someone else in the church, um, whatever the case might be, God is bigger than all that. And it gets to, I think, <laughs> what we've been saying over and over in so many different ways that uh, this is ultimately about God. He is the creator. We are the creation, you know. Uh, we're the, the, the pots of clay, <laughs> you know, as it says in um, Corinthians, Second Corinthians. And so... That acknowledgement is humbling, one, but helps frame how we approach an individual and how an individual should approach the doubts that they may have or the things that they're seeing or the things they're getting frustrated by. Those three categories that were listed out by the author of this particular article. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's about God. Yep. And uh, God has not wronged you at any point. God has not wronged you. I may have wronged you. <laughs> you may have wronged someone else. Or the person in the church may have wronged you, but God has not wronged you. And so that hopefully can be a comfort to a particular individual. So any final thoughts on deconstructionism? We've covered a lot of ground, but I think it was necessary ground to cover. And certainly we could be at this for another hour or two because there's so much to talk about. You know, there, I experience a a kind of an interesting phenomenon because I, I teach an elective class. Um, the kids get to choose whether or not they're in band. Hmm. And and a number of them decide along the way not to. But very often when they decide not to, they won't talk to me first. Hmm. They, they won't give me an opportunity to show them the benefits, help them address some of the reasons why maybe they're struggling and see if it's worth giving another option. Hmm. And that saddens me. I don't, I, I don't like it 
when kids drop band because I know how good it is for you. Yeah, I, I see all of the benefits. I can I can live with them not doing band if especially if they've at least given me an opportunity to. I, I don't know any other thing than to try to persuade them because I do try to persuade them, but to, to present a case, that's probably a better phrase. Yeah. I guess the same thing with deconstruction. Don't, if you're wrestling, if you're not sure, if you're mad at God, if, if you think this is invalid and you've been f- claiming to be a Christian, following Christ, whatever, at least talk to somebody that you know is a follower of Christ. Yeah at least let them hear what's going on. It might not change your mind, but that's, I believe that's being honest mm-hmm. in and dealing with things rightly. Um, Don't isolate yourself. Absolutely. And, and if, if you know, if you in particular, if you're deconstructing your own faith, go to the faith community. I think one of the dangers that always happens, even, even, you know, in the faith community itself, we will get into like a group think. Let's go find a bunch of people who think exactly like me, who can, you know, who are struggling with the same thing. I mean, you see this all the time in social media. Little silos are created, you know. It's really broken down a communication between an individual who might be experiencing this and someone who hasn't, who, be, who, who can be helpful still. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that I'm helped in terms of things that I'm processing in life by those who don't think like me. <laughs> Well, I know that's true for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are se- several areas that we've talked about that our thoughts don't line up 100%. Well, yeah. And I walk away thinking about your perspective. Likewise, yeah. And and so I know that that's true. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, no doubt. And there is there is huge value in that because we don't have all the answers. We don't have perfect understanding. But I think God does reveal and, and give insight. And I think yeah. he's worthy of a second chance. Yeah, I agree. That's a great way to end. God is worthy of a second chance, no doubt. Well, that was good, man. That was helpful for me. Um, it's good to hear from you on your thoughts on that. Certainly you see it from a perspective, especially at, chur- uh, at church, but certainly at school as well. And I certainly see it, um, you know, uh, a very real way at a church level and mm-hmm. those in other churches as well as I, you know, hang out with other pastors locally and you know, we're talking about some of the same things that we're experiencing together, you know. Yeah. And it's a very real issue. And uh, we could sit up here for another two hours and talk about story after story after story about a person who's going through the path of deconstruction. And if you're listening right now and you're going through that particular path, my encouragement to you is to find someone you trust, certainly who's a Christian, who loves the Lord, and allow them into your life. Be vulnerable with them and talk about what's going on. Uh, obviously a pastor uh, is a great source as well. Hopefully your pastor is a great source, yeah. resource in terms of someone you can trust and, and be counseled through. And, 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 you know, this going, talking about deconstruction does not dismiss someone's experience, lived experience. And um, we want, not, we want to point you to God <laughs> Absolutely. as you wrestle with this. So, yep. Well, that's it. Um, you know, I've been I've found a few resources on this particular issue, so hopefully, I can get those into the links below. So, if you're interested in learning more about deconstructionism, um, uh, there, there'll be some resources uh, available to you. Um, some stuff from Crossway that I thought was really helpful, and I think uh, Ligonier as well. Mm. 
Well, that's it for now. Uh, it's not as humid in here as I thought it was going to be. So that's good news in this milk house. I have not started sweating. I, 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 I perspired up here a touch and I wiped it away and I've been good since. But as soon as we walk out that door, the heat's going to hit. <laughs> Welcome to Iowa in June. Headed toward July. That's it for now. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you can put it into the uh, comment section below. And please, we'd love to interact with you with the particular topics you want us to take up. We're pretty, we're not shy. We've we've dealt with some tricky stuff. I'm shy. You're not. You're shy, yeah. But I still answer stuff. Yeah, he'll still answer, though. I'll, I'll still rope you in and be like, you answer the hard question. <laughs> uh, but we love interacting, so uh, please feel free to do that. And then also do this. Go to cornfieldtheology.com if you want to receive the latest posts. Uh, from our blogs that we write on weekly, you can sign up, put your email in. We don't spam you. It's just when a new blog comes out, it goes right to your email, and voila, you can read a little more about what we're thinking. We really love to take theology and engage it with culture and what's going on. Uh, we want Christians to think well about their faith because mm -hmm. we live in a world. Uh, we live in a culture. We live in a particular place and time. And so how we think about our faith in this place and time is really important. Yeah. That's it for now. God bless. Take care. And yeah. until next time. Peace out. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.